Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where we speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. For our 13th episode titled The Culture Spectrum in Global SaaS, we have Gustavo Souza from Brazil. He's the head of Rock Content, an exciting startup in the content marketing space. He's also a partner of Sasholic, an early stage venture capital investment fund focused on the Latin American region. He's a lawyer by formation but has found his areas of excellence in sales and marketing. Hi Gustavo, welcome to our show and we are excited to talk to you all the way from Brazil. Could you tell a little bit about your background and uh, your journey so far? Sashwat and Oscar, first very pleased to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. And let me be very brief about myself since that's not the topic of today's podcast. We'll be talking here about SaaS and valuable things for the community. Originally, I'm from Brazil. I've studied two years in Germany, both during school and the university. I graduated in a law school. And right after uh, graduating, after practicing law for some time, I realized it was not what I was made for. And I quickly moved my career into tech. I started in sales and very quickly grew on the ranks of the organization I still work for, which is Rockconnect. I ended up starting a new sales channel and managing a, a team that grew large and large. At the end, I moved to different roles in the company. Then last year, I was managing a business unit from Canada that had people working from all around the world and was also a SaaS product. And uh, currently, I'm developing the, the partner program for Rock Content so that we can have marketing agencies partnering up with us, distributing our products, and at the same time, creating opportunities for these agencies to provide better services for their customers and make more money, better margins, and so on and so forth. So this is the Gustavo 9 to 5 person. On the side, I've always had many side hustles. And what I want to highlight here is Sasholic. So this is a small pre-seed seed investment fund that I run with my partners. And we typically invest on early stage SaaS companies that have just released a product and have their first customers. And we are starting to see some signs of product market fit, but not definitively. And we help the companies we invest in with go-to marketing, sales, marketing. We're actually very hands-on helping those founders uh, move to the next phase. So our strengths are being operators instead of bankers. And that's how we add value to these companies and connect them to the next phase of fundraising people. And we keep helping them on the journey. So you studied in Hanover, right? So what are the differences in working culture or business culture between Germany and Brazil? Because you have exposure to both the geographies. So I think the first one and most obvious one is punctuality. I love German punctuality. That's something that makes businesses very predictable. And this is something that uh, me as a SaaS lover, I love predictability. And this is something I hope the whole world could inherit and mimic from the Germans and the English people. Other differences I see, so you asked between the Europeans and Brazilians, 
I think the Europeans, they have more fixed spaces for work and personal life. In South America in general, this mixes up more the personal life with the professional life. And what I see most people, not everyone, I'm overgeneralizing. In Germany, people tend to work from, let's say, nine to five. When it's five, it's five. I'm done with it. I go home I move, and I will be doing only things related to my life. What I'm saying here is not everyone. This is, I'm talking about the majority and my perceptions. If you think in Brazil, Latin America in general, work hours are typically more flexible. So if you're uh, still in the middle of a thing at five o'clock, it's not so common for you to just stop what you're doing and pick up on the next day. So you typically end it, even though this might take some, some time. Another difference which I also appreciate is how direct and explicit they tend to be when doing business. Like, uh, so we're starting a conversation with you because of this and this and that. And that's very clear from the beginning. And uh, this is something I find very honest and productive. Sometimes Brazilians tend to start a relationship and do this and that, get to know the person. And you don't really know what they're doing that for. Sometimes there's too much time wasted. Awesome. So you rightly mentioned about uh, your new upcoming venture, Sasha Lake, right? So in Sasha Lake, are you uh, having investments in uh, global markets? Is it North American, South American, Mercosur, uh, European and Asia markets? Or is it specific to some kind of geography or some kind of specific restrictions to companies as well? So we focus on Latin American SaaS companies. That's our focus. But sometimes if the, the company is too sexy to be ignored, we, we have the liberty, we've aligned this with our investors and LPs that we can step aside a bit. So some deals, we, we get a bit more creative. And this creativity can get either in terms of business model. So we have one or two marketplaces or fintechs that are doing awesomely well, although we typically focus more on SaaS. But we know the founders, we knew it was going to work. And currently, there's a company we're evaluating there from the Balkans. So from time to time, we do evaluate opportunities from other geographies. But we tend to focus mostly on LATAM. But if it's too sexy, we want to get away from it. Last year, I was in Latin, uh, Latin market as well, primarily in Mexico and had a great experience. So what are, what are the opportunities you find by uh, expanding to a Latin market? So a SaaS company that might be based out of Europe or Asia or maybe other parts of the world, what are the opportunities they see to expand into the Latin market? Great question. So what I see in terms of the beauty of the Latin market, I'd say, is the population, the number of people that inhabit this part of the world. I think it's 650 million people, something like that. So this is a lot of people. And uh, if your business is based on the number of people that are using you or some kind of network effects, that plays a huge role. Another one is the region is still underdeveloped for what it should be. And growth rates for the Latin countries aren't staggering now. But I can foresee in the midterm future, the, I don't know, the US and other Western countries throwing and pouring money on the Latin region because they need to expand. And China will do that within Asia. And if Western countries, especially the USA, don't pour money on Latin America, China will do that 
and China will gain the influence on the region. Currently, it's still underpriced, in my evaluation, the beauty and the sexiness behind it. Gustavo, you at SaaSholic, you invest in SaaS companies and startups in Latin America. Can you tell us what does a SaaS business or a startup need to have to be successful in Latin America? So I think that the basic things are the same uh, either in Latin America, in China, India, US, Europe, whatever. So the like the team, the product needs to be good and solve a real pain. And I won't get into the basics because I think everyone kind of knows it or if they don't, it's easy to find. But the specific things that you need to be successful in Latin America are uh, one, You need to be conscious that funding in Latin America is different from the U.S. In the U.S., startups raise money and typically are counting on their next fundraising event without reaching a break-even point. Most of the successful startups here in LATAM, what I see them doing is I'm raising a round now. This round will last me, let's say, 18 months. And my goal with this money is to get to break-even or profitability. Once they're on this route, they, they get close to it or they, they get to profitability and new money comes in. You cannot really count on new money just like you can in the US, just like kick the, the can down the road and always and never get close to break-even because you know that someone will fund you later. Here in Latin America, I would never do that if I was a founder. I would play a bit more conservatively. So this is one, this is a big one. A lot of your costs that will hurt your margins will be in dollars. Developers and product people salaries are getting dollarized because these people can work for any company they want, wherever the company is based. And what I'm seeing on multiple countries in Latin America are currency inflation. So the local money is worth less and their costs are still fixed in dollars. And due to COVID, developer salaries are growing. So this is something that have hit tech companies very hard and they need now to be very conscious in terms of how am I selling my products? How's my pricing strategy? And they need to be very conscious with their uh, margins. Otherwise, they will be strangled with these kinds of costs or even have a terrible margin that makes your business unsustainable. I really like the you know term that you use, dollarization per se. So last session, you use the word commoditization of businesses as well, referring to a lot of Indian SaaS companies, you know, where the network effect plays out, etc. So I'm very curious, what are some of the growth hacks for scaling in LATAM geographies? I mean, of course, Brazil and Mexico are two of the largest economies in that part of the world. But you being in rock content and having exposure to multiple geographies, having sales, partnership, alliances, what are some of the growth hacks that comes to your mind? I will disappoint you with my answer, and I will say that there are no silver bullet growth hacks. And you really need to have a growth strategy for LATAM. Sometimes multiple LATAM strategies, since there are multiple countries with different particularities. But a pattern that I'm seeing successful companies adopt is early on, find someone that knows the geography, your industry knows how to get the job done and uh, assign like a general manager for the region or a country manager, something like that. 
Because if you try to have your growth team also growing on let M, they won't have the time, won't have the experience of what is needed to be localized for that region. What I would advise any founder to do is find someone either in your local country or someone with a feet on the ground in Latin America and hire that person as a country manager, regional uh, region manager, whatever, and assign that person the, the responsibility to grow the metrics that you need to grow on that region. And that person will be in charge of knowing what they need to localize for the region and what they don't need to localize for the region. And Gustavo, you also have a lot of experience in content marketing, especially now at Rock Content. You guys create, and this is the headline on your website, content experience your audience will love. And I find that super interesting. Can you tell us what is the difference between a content experience and let's say a normal content snippet I post on social media every day? Great thing. I will break your question into two different questions. So the difference between content experience and a content piece. The other one is how we advise companies and help our customers, which is different from just social media posting. Content experience in very simple terms is you treating your communication strategy in a more holistic approach. What I mean by holistic, there are different mediums and channels, and you need to create a strategy that you can interact with the same person on Instagram, on your blog, on your website, And the message is complementary and you need to know. This is not, I have one strategy for Facebook. I have one uh, strategy for LinkedIn. No, it's the same company. The people that will be interacting with your company will be seeing and interacting with you across different mediums and channels. And uh, you need to craft this experience to make it uh, look like one. The difference between content experience and uh, social media content, I would say that in very simple terms, it's the difference between buying a house and renting a house. So once you're producing producing content for on Facebook, on Twitter, or whatever, you're renting their audience. So the audience belongs to the social media. And once they change algorithms, there's nothing you can do. You either pay or you cry. There is nothing there. And uh, what we advise companies to do is social media is great. It's awesome. Don't get away from it. But also don't get uh, hooked and dependent solely on that. So you need to also build your own content hub where people come to you through your means, either through SEO, you have your email lists that you, you captivate with your audience through relevant content for them. So you need to own your audience instead of uh, being a dependent on social media platforms. So uh, what are some of the business books that really um, have inspired you in your journey or some of the books that you really look up to? The best one, I'd say, is High Output Management. I won't uh, provide any explanations. Everyone recommends this book and it's worth reading if you haven't already. So don't just read a summary. Uh, get the book, read the book. It's the Bible for anyone into tech or management. But what I'm currently consuming more and more and more and finding a lot of value in are relevant Substack uh, newsletters. And if I would suggest one, uh, I would say the Not Boring newsletter. You, you just need to search Not Boring Substack 
and it's written by Becky. And I just love how he writes and the themes that he picks up for writing. Just take a look at it. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, Gustavo. And we love talking to you and exchanging notes as well. And hope to speak to you again at a later point in time. Really appreciate the invitation. And it was a pleasure to be here with you and an honor. Thank you.